Enterprise Improvement, a podcast by teachers and organisers aiming to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system from an unashamedly left-wing perspective. What's going well and what really requires improvement? So today you're going to be joined by Nick. Hello. Lauren. Hi. Lee. Hello there. Tom. Hi. And me, Anu, and uh, we're just going to start. How is it going, everyone? It's been like two months since the start of term, which feels like a very long time ago. Um, we're nearing another half term. So, it's yeah. It's quick, yeah. Weirdly. It's like we barely work at all, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been like, obviously the sort of post well, it's not post covid but i suppose in a way it's sort of got that slight vibe and i think you know management are very much seeing it as like post covid um so personally just like having my classroom back having my lab back has just been like amazing like i know it sounds weird that that small little thing um has has already just made a big difference um yeah and just i don't know it it's a weird one because the whole kind of the pandemic's obviously not gone away so it is trying to sort of also remember that as well and try to remember like hey people you know we still should try to you know keep the windows open and all these things that seem to kind of now be largely forgotten i think at the moment yeah i think there's like um i think most septembers kind of start with a weird kind of positive air yeah don't they there's like because the weather's quite nice and the kids are kind of not tired and teachers are not as tired and there is that. And I've definitely found it interesting, like, sitting at a computer doing, like, my job but not having this, like, intense, thick, black cloud of doom, depression and uh, just hopelessness in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and remembering that, oh, that's how I felt every single day last year just had this kind of weird thing and, you know yeah. just doing stuff even towards the end of term with all the extra marking that we were doing we didn't really have you know we just didn't really have a proper summer as well you know like it, six weeks is not enough to get over the the year we had um yeah. but i don't know something's been okay like it's but i think i think i sort of felt it sort of felt okay it's been nice to get back in with the kids and stuff and like i said like not being as tired and things just being less weird like last year it was so tense this time of year like quite I barely made it through last year yeah. I, I'm, I still now it was weird because I went in on the first day and we had an inset and like nothing had happened I was feeling fairly positive about it but as soon as I walked through the gates it was like I had like a, a post-traumatic stress response like my heart rate just went up and I remember sat in the inset for the first half of it and my body like my brain I was like I'm fine I'm okay but literally my heart was just pounding for the first like half the day it was like I was having like a a massive anxiety attack that I was just hell-bent on trying to hide and I realized that that is still just all of those things last year they don't just go away it's not like oh it's a magic brush and now we're back and it's all nice and normal like there are still a lot of things I have to personally um get my head around and, and try and sort of be less anxious about um yeah like that monday feeling but times 100 yeah basically it was like what the and i was sitting there going what the hell's going on like i i everything's fine why why do i literally feel like i'm about to like pass out it was just the weirdest sensation um 
I, I would agree with you, Lauren. Um, it's difficult for me to disentangle uh, whether uh, the way I've been feeling generally is a result of the pandemic or a long overdue midlife crisis. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I think the positive upshot of it is that I'm determined to uh, live differently in a way that is better for me, but also better for the members that we serve in the union and the students we teach. Uh, I'm just feeling a bit more imbalanced this year, and I hope that that will uh, leave me well prepared for the challenges that lie ahead, whether that is catching COVID for the second time in my case um, or going to war against the government. But we're, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be I'm sure we'll be discussing that a little later. But uh, Tom, how's it been for you? Yeah, no, sim- similar to you all. Um, yeah, pretty fantastic start here. Just thinking back uh, last week, yeah, I enjoyed every day of my working week last week. It was yeah. fantastic, yeah. A couple of sleepless nights earlier in, in the term, a day off sick. But yeah, no, it's been great. Um, Lauren, as you said, being back back in one single classroom. Uh, yeah, the kids have been delightful on the whole, considering everything they've been through. Yeah, um, yeah and I think just me, me personally, it's been nice... Um, in the workplace, I've been doing, making much more of an effort um, with things back to normal, whatever that might be, like proactively speaking to colleagues, whether that's long-standing colleagues I've not built up much relationship with. Um, yeah, been much more proactive in just saying hello and checking in with uh, new colleagues, uh, people either new to my workplace or new to to education or to the teaching profession to check in with them and um yes that's been really positive and really nice similarly with union stuff it's been it's been really great to kind of get back to do some in-person events we had a kind of in-person social um that we we were at a couple of weeks ago that was fantastic and yeah getting more into like visiting schools um seeing members in person has been similarly very very positive so yeah this kind of sense that I don't know if things are back to normal because I've got a pervasive sense that I can remember just about before COVID and I remember working really, really hard before COVID. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm working harder now. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe that's something, yeah. So not all, obviously, yeah, I'd say a nice positive feeling, but we all know kind of what what the massive cracks are in the, in the education system, in society and, um, yeah, what we can do about it. Well, this is weird because, like, for the first time after the initial roundup I've got this like warm feeling in my stomach but it's not like the fire of anger and injustice it's like oh well, my friends are all right at the moment <laughs> um but yeah, yeah um but uh that's not what we're here for <laughs> we're here for what requires improvement because that is the constant struggle so um yeah let's let's move on to the main main sort of deal then so who's going to go first with their requires improvement is it is it lee we going? Yeah, sure. Why not? Because at least this is going to pick up a previous thread that we've uh, explored. Um, he's going to lose his zen cool, though. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah, if only you could see him now. He's like, even he's crossing his legs and everything, isn't he? He's just sitting in the whatever pose that is. He's on right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're all my unpaid therapists. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so you will recall previous uh, coverage on this podcast uh, about uh, one uh, Pimlico Academy. And uh, the, uh, the <laughs> well, the mismanagement of that 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 particular school in the context of of that academy trust. Um, you'll remember it's run by Lord Nash, who was previously uh, minister for academies. Not sure if he even has a government role now, but he is, uh, you know, essentially chairman of of the trustees for the Pimlico Academy Trust. Um, 
they obviously last year had a uh, massive uh, sort of kerfuffle. Uh, well, in fact, it was this year. Sorry, I keep. I meant last academic year, pre pre September, uh, where uh, the school was uh, rightfully accused of uh, mismanagement and, well, let's call it what it is, racism against many of their own students, uh, ridiculously punitive behaviour policies, targeting students for having Afro haircuts. Um, there was a, um, a wonderful uprising from the students in that school who were frankly not prepared to take the shit anymore. Uh, it was swiftly followed up with a strike by the NEU members, and uh, we did predict at the time that we were covering this that the the head teacher's position had become untenable it had (laughs) (laughs) so um he went when you know when when he did the the obvious thing of stepping down for having fucked the entire situation up um you know you could be forgiven for feeling you know like like some justice had been served but this is the uk education system we're talking about here Uh, there's no punishment for failure at the top i mean you could you could get national headlines you could trigger a student walkout you could trigger a strike but you're in the club You, you, you ain't going away <laughs> so um, the, the, the previous head teacher of Pimlico Academy, uh, the anodyne sounding Dan Smith, uh, he's popped back up. Um, he's he's uh, he's uh, basically sent all staff in this trust an email because he's now the <laughs> acting director of standards. Oh, and, and like he, he's meant to be their their go to guy for getting the schools Ofsted ready. And you just got to take a step back and go, wow, they must really like this guy. <laughs> Who wants to, uh, who, who would like to say the line about <laughs> the line that commemorates all those failing SLT who end up in the new cast of un, uh, what's the word? Un, uh, unaccountable, <laughs> unaccountable, completely unaccountable, very, very well paid managers. In a dance as old as time. <laughs> Um, now, you know, I want to I just give a shout-out to War, uh, journalist Warwick Mansell. He runs a really decent um, news service. It's, it's pennies to subscribe to. I highly recommend everyone check out Education Uncovered. Yeah. He's one of the few independent journalists actually doing the muckraking on this. Mm. But he's well, he's well, you know, tapped into the staff and the students and the parents, you know, of this academy. And, uh, you know... There is uproar that this man still has a job. There is uproar that Lord Nash still thinks this is the guy to, to be a face of, of anything, you know, in education, never mind in that particular trust. It's brazen. Mm. It's brazen. Like, and, and you just can, you can sense them thumbing their nose at their own students, you know, at, at the parents going, yeah, you can have your strike, you can have your walkout, we'll make him resign, but he, he ain't going away, folks. And in fact, he'll be observing your lesson next week, you know. It's, it's honestly... <laughs> Um, so quite how they're planning to spin this I, I only hope it provokes more war because yeah. these, these people must be fought um, and, but this segues neatly into uh, my actual requires improvement which is you know um, can we do something about the Mardi Gras parade of just like uh, Tory hegemony you know like it seems that uh, the, 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 every sort of rumour article about the future of education policy whether it's you know coming from conservative sources or as uh, one of us is going to chat about later, leaving labour sources, it just seems that there's no new ideas. You know, in light of this pandemic, there's there's, there's no suggestion that we should change course. It's more academization, more testing. Um, and I want to particularly focus on, you know, our new education secretary, um, Zivani. Have I said his name right? Nadine? Oh, who cares? <laughs>
Nadim Zahawi. Nadim, he uh, is the guy who he got the taxpayer to pay for the heating. Oh, yeah, he's a big horse fan. Big horse fan. Um, good for him. Uh, but basically, there's, there was a particularly concerning article in the Tez last week, Times Educational Supplement, not really worth your time. But, um, <laughs> but it talked about how there is uh, the floating ideas, like what if we were to reduce the uh, contractual limits on teacher hours so we can extend the school day? I think everyone should be very worried about this because if, if they actually spring for this, it just means they could work you to death. You will lose all our entitlements to our holidays. They could direct us to work potentially unlimited hours. Mm. Now, obviously, the unions will fight this and it's unclear really whether an extended school day is, is, is of benefit to most students. But then again, you could ask that question of most of their policies. Mm. Um, you know, for, for me... We gotta try and get some bolder thinking into the discourse here, and it certainly ain't coming from the Tories. I, I, I am aghast to say it's not really coming from Labour as well. Uh, but for me, my requires improvement is: can people just see how naked the the the, the emperor is? You know, like uh, in the sense that <laughs> where even when they have an egregious failure. There's, there's no consequence. There's no change of tack. There's no. There's not even. Uh, they're not even bothering to hide their shame. You know. Um, and I. I would like uh, <laughs> the education discourse in this country um, to, to to move on and to, and to have a bit more edge to it. Why are people not up in arms about the fact that the you know the moderate education endowment trust is that what they are? Education endowment fund. I think. Yeah. EF. Yeah. yeah. Um, they hired the guy from that. To, to sort of work out how much it would cost to catch up the students who've lost out due to the pandemic. And we're talking literally like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of young people. And he put a price tag on it of 14 billion. He said, right, if you spend 14 billion quid, we can, you know, get some way towards fixing that educational deficit. And, he, you know, this guy's a moderate. He, he's pretty comfortable with the system as it is. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want to bash the guy too much. And the Tories just went, yeah, we'll give you 10% of that, mate. Yeah. You can have 1.4 billion and we'll spend it exclusively on private tutors. Uh, that's your lot, you know, I mean, and, and why there isn't, you know, uh, hordes of parents trying to, you know, attack the government for just 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 telling everyone this is how much we think of your kids future. This is how much it's worth to us. We're going to spend more on potholes than we are on <laughs> the fact that your kid could barely go to school for the best part of a year and a half. Um, that's me. That's me for this week. There mm, we are. Yeah. Don't want to come in on that. Well, it just makes me livid. It's just... And it's a fact that, again, I mean, it's like everything, isn't it, in society? It's, um, if you're rich and you're powerful, you're always going to be fine. You can do what the fuck you want, when you want, how you want, and you'll get away with it. And this is just another example of that, isn't it? I mean, you know, classic. I mean, look at who we've got a prime minister, you know? Like, the things that that man has said and done, and yet it's just people still are just like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And yet, I know as an educator if, or a teacher in the classroom, even a tiny, tiny proportion of the things that are done, you know, that, that, we, that we've seen him do and get away with, if that was me, like, the, the, the absolute accountability that I have is so vast, and that is part of our job, you know, it's part of the, the thing that actually does keep you awake at night and, and, and then the things that it, it does add to the pressure of what you do because it's that accountability. You know that I walk in that building, I'm on show, I'm on, I'm... It's responsible for all of these kids 
when I'm with them, um, how I present myself, how I conduct myself, what I say. Um, I've got to be so careful of, you know, certain things, you know, I can't be letting too much of my own political opinions, you know, loose on the kids or whatever. You know, I've always got to be censoring myself all the fucking time. And yet, and that's what, it just makes me livid, the fact that that is literally my day-to-day and these people just do not care. I mean, yeah. Boris Johnson... They don't have to do it. Boris Johnson's not even accountable to all the children that have his DNA though <laughs> how many is it I mean I he hasn't quite said has he know. no he hasn't admitted this oh six. has he admitted this six? oh, oh has he yeah okay no but maybe, then he's had a new one though so yeah sure it's having the seven, seventh it's and eighth it's six four is, seven isn't it yeah I think that's what it is on Wikipedia having the seventh and eighth has made him really step back and think Oh, bless about him. the sick that he denied. Yeah, um, I mean, I, that's, like, that's a parable in the Bible or something, yeah, isn't it? Sure I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're talking about doing an, edu- an education white paper uh, coming up with loads of new stuff in it. But like I said, I, they don't have any ideas. And also, I kind of think uh, they sort of float things just to see how they go and see that re- what the response is. I don't know. I can see why they would try and push economization. But, you know, look at this uh, Nadine Zahawi thing, and he's like, Nadim. Nadim. Ma. Yeah. Nadim Um And he, the best you could hope for is that he just is a lazy bastard who doesn't really want to do anything, and will just turn up and just say. To things. like Boris. Yeah, but I think, but I think he sort of, sort of already is doing that in a way. Like some of his things, he just sort of says just sort of random things that don't really mean anything. I think that you could publish an education white paper that doesn't really change much because they kind of know they're in control anyway. Like I don't know how much more. I mean, it could be, you know, tempting fate here, but, like, how much more, you know, public value could they squeeze out of education in that way? I suppose, it, you know, it could go further down the route of, like, American schools, but I don't know, we, we do have more union density and things like that. I think potentially, like, culture war-type things would be fun for them, but ultimately, like, they don't have enough teachers in the schools. The, the kids are not learning as effectively as they could, and there are skill shortages... Uh, you know, the way they're doing the schools is just like, they're not very well, they're not funding them properly, but they're also quite inefficient in, in some ways as well because it just doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. So, I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know they're going to attack us and I know, yeah, I know they're going to they're gonna do that, but also they might just be really lazy. I mean, like Boris Johnson, when he was like uh, in charge of London, he just didn't really do very much. He just wrote books and things. Uh, and did the bikes. <laughs> he didn't do the it? bikes. That was Ken Livingston. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and the, um, oh, yeah, he just renamed him, didn't he? Yeah, but it's just like, so I, so I kind of, I mean, that's the kind of, I think the best we can kind of hope for is that we have, we show some kind of organisational muscle and just go and just try and make them just do their, do their favourite Tory thing and just, you know, I mean, I'd even be up for like chipping in to get his stables heated as long as he just fucked off and didn't really bother us. I mean, I think that's really <laughs> the, best, the best we can have out of this, uh, really. Right. Who's next then? This uh, roller coaster of horrible horribleness. <laughs> so I suppose mine is a bit of a, a broad um, general one around what requires improvement is organising, but that's kind of a bit of a, a broad term, and it is a kind of an endless, ongoing process. And there's never um, there's never an end point to it. There's never a point where your union is strong enough, your structures are strong enough, your organisation is strong enough, mm-hmm. and you've organised. Um, enough workers um yeah and i suppose that kind of links back to to the, in- the introduction where i was feeling uh, broadly quite positive i think yeah things are um i'm trying to kind of every day at least in in my work and i do think about how i can strengthen kind of the national education union um in the southwest and in bristol and in the workplaces in bristol uh yeah and i think um 
over the last kind of 19 months since the pandemic, it's been um, a lot of that's been done um, on Zoom meetings, um, Teams meetings, phone calls and all that other really, really kind of quite quite draining stuff, like getting the screen burned, looking at spreadsheets, uh, talking um, to person after person. But it's just quite nice to kind of get back in and actually meet people in person and then start to kind of make connections where you can't make connections when you are trying to, mm-hmm. as best as you can, organise remotely. And that's, if you're going to a workplace, you might have a list of members. It might be dreadfully out of date if no one's made reached out to that workplace in a while. Um, and, of course, in every workplace, and I think um, education workplaces, schools are the same, same as ever. There's lots of people in there who are not in, in any union, let alone people who might be in other unions where they might be better served um, by leaving that union and joining ours. Um, so, yeah, I think it's not really a, a negative or a criticism, but I think I've just been thinking a lot lately about what we can all do as trade unionists to kind of keep sharp um, and keep on top of the game. I'm reading a book at the moment um, by Eve Livingston called Make Bosses Pay, Why We Need Unions. And it's quite a short um, short book. I think Pluto Press, I'll have to check that. We'll put um, put a link to it in the notes. Um, but yeah, it's just quite a nice timely reminder about why we need unions and why we need unions right now in 2021. Mm-hmm. We talk about increasing precarity, the gig economy. And I think something we have seen over... Um, the last few years is is a trend of increased precarity in mm. in education, whether that's some kind of um, support staff roles being much more likely to be temporary roles, um, making it much easier through a kind of disciplinary and other processes to get teachers out of out of a job. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's something um, I've been been thinking a lot about. Um, I'll think a lot about kind of Jane McAlevey when she says we need to get com- um, we need to be comfortable about having uncomfortable conversations and speaking to people we might not um, want to speak to or we might not naturally be drawn to speaking, but being really kind of proactive and out there and open. Um, and I think yeah, and kind of call people out and and put it put the onus back on them as trade union members or just workers in general. If you're someone who has to get up to go to work every day to earn money to pay for your rent pay for your mortgage pay for your family which is the vast majority of people obviously then there, ha- there has to be some challenge put to them we've talked about all the stuff that we don't like it's it, it's the agile question well what are we going to do about it and i think having this kind of organizing approach even if nothing else i think on a on a level of your own kind of personal well-being and equilibrium and mental health it does kind of help you with that because it's like all this stuff being bombarded at you the kind of brazenly talked about uh whatever dreadful stuff and the deems are is going to come out with you know it's going to be terrible we know it's going to be absolute dog shit but we can kind of we we know that's what they're going to do then if you just put it back on us well okay that's what they're always going to do they're always going to do that we can't stop them doing that thing that they were always going to do but we can react to it we can control ourselves we can be disciplined of ourselves and we can do something about that and I think part of that also will involve yeah as I say challenging our own members and kind of keep chipping away at this kind of ingrained mindset which has built up over quite a long period of time I'm sure we've all been complicit with it and union bureaucracy certainly have where unions are being presented as a service yeah. or join a union you'll get a few discounts from Nando's or whatever it might be or we're the insurance policy give us a call when something goes wrong um, it's been quite interesting and heartening having conversations with people who do think that and then spinning it back round to them and being like well it's not that the union is not a service it's you and your colleagues working collectively to achieve what you cannot achieve alone what are you going to do about it? You've given me a long list of things you do not like in your everyday life, things that make you miserable when you get up in the morning, things that stress you out, ruin your personal time, your family life. 
again, yeah, what are you going to do about it? So, yeah, quite a broad and open uh, requires improvement and not necessarily a critical one or one aimed at anyone in particular, but I think it's always useful to kind of keep that in our minds, that it's an ongoing, never-ending process. And I think it is, it's obviously an important one, it's an imperative one, but it's also one that should be quite personally fulfilling as well. Mm. Can you just, I think it's probably just worth just every opportunity we get is spelling out what we mean by organising because we were at, few of us were at the World Transformed uh, Festival in Brighton recently. Got stuck there as well because we uh, <laughs> couldn't get petrol. So I had to like yeah. call in to work, uh, not sick, but say, look, capitalist supply lines have let, let me down. I literally can't come to work, <laughs> uh, which was amazing. And then I got to see a few more, uh, few more, few more panels and stuff. But uh, quite often there's this thing where people talk about organising, but it's a bit of a buzzword. Mm. And, uh, and like, just I think it is worth getting up there and explaining to people uh, as much as possible the difference between this organising approach that we're talking about um, and what unions have been doing for years and what has not actually been delivering that many that many wins. Well, I think what organising is, and this is where I'm going to probably get it terribly wrong, so do feel free to jump in. Like I say, it is a process. I feel really put on the spot now by Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, just buzzwords. Yeah, organising, that will solve it. We need an organising unit, that will do I'm it. I'm going to laugh at you wrong. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, for me, I think what organising is, is it's always having almost like a mindset where every kind of interaction you have or conversation you have with um, a union member in whatever capacity it might be, um, even if it is someone getting in touch with you for I need support or I need someone to sit in with me on a disciplinary meeting or I need, um, I need, I need help to get out of the profession because it's killing me, <laughs> is about what is going to be the, the broader purpose of this conversation. Where is it going to make sure every kind of interaction, conversation has a focus, has a purpose, and that purpose is to draw new people into the organisation, new people into the movement, and to build power in the workplace. And I think when we talk about power in the workplace, what that looks like can be quite broad, but we absolutely know it when we see it. We know exactly who does have the power in the workplace and who doesn't. The boss has power in the workplace. The worker does not in, as we've said, a dance as old as time. <laughs> so it's it's about, yeah, whatever you can do to, be, to build power. And, and I think it's, again, moving beyond even just it's like, oh, someone feels, feels a bit confident and a bit and a bit assertive that they're now going to say something in a public um, inset meeting that they think something is stupid that management is doing and they're going to get told off for it and they're not going to get a promotion. Yeah, Lauren's raising her hand right there. Well, yeah. Whoops, <laughs> yeah. I've done that before. Yeah, and I mean, there's a time and a place for that, but it's more than kind of... Every meeting, that's the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every meeting, there's a time for that. And absolutely, there's a time and a place for that, but it's like that's that's not... That, that, could, be, that could be a useful start point if, like, making a note of who or who are the five people afterwards in the staff room, you say, you know, good for you, I'm glad you said that. It's about not just seeing that as a cathartic endpoint, but as as the process of of building power. And I think, yeah, like I say, that that can mean lots of different things at lots of different levels. That might just be a, getting a large number of people to agree that something is wrong as a first step. And of course, the having having kind of the big picture in mind and what power could look like when we kind of we communicate or we send surveys out we call members we will ask them are you happy to sign a public petition are you happy to work to rule do you want a strike ballot on this and i suppose it's getting to that point where we get all our all our workplaces are ready for taking the big action which would be strike action i think again McAlevey talks about getting strike ready and i think that's 
something we shouldn't shy away from, we shouldn't be ashamed about it, particularly in education, you do get this constant drumbeat of guilt that how could you ever possibly go and strike all about the kids? But it's about getting to the point where it's like, well, if we really want something and you want something enough and your colleagues want it enough and everyone in this building, with the exception of the bosses, want enough, you need to then take the next step mm-hmm. and you need to be confident to do that that you've got the support not of your union whatever that might be as a as an abstract third party but you've got the confidence of everyone else in your workplace also just feeling less alone like i find like with um, my my workplace in the last year um i mean i'm i'm, I'm sure you've all heard on if, if you have listened to previous episodes that i've not been a happy bunny um at work and it was really tough and there was a lot of Again, like all the things that Tom said that I was kind of doing, having those conversations with people, trying to organise meetings, like... And just reminding people as well, like, actually, believe it or not, like, you were alone, what what, say, what you can achieve as a United is so much more than, than you alone. And actually, that is where the power comes from. And also, I think it's always worth reminding people about the rights that they have, that they take for granted now, have not always been there. They weren't given by some lovely, cuddly, benevolent leader who decided that, you know, you know, everyone... Oh, actually, do you know what? We should give people paid holidays. People should have weekends. People should have a maximum eight-hour working day. Oh, people should have maternity and paternity leave. Oh, people shouldn't be, you know, sacked because of, you know, because they're disabled or gay. You know, like, these things did not just happen. And I think that is always worth reminding people, like, bearing in mind, when you go home and you enjoy your weekend, whatever you do with it, that that was one. That was people struggled, fought for and won. And that is a really important thing to remind people of, I think, when we're having these conversations as well, um, the wins. Yeah, what I would do, I'll jump in there, and I have found a quite good definition that of um very badly tried to reach out, um, reach to. Uh, so this is from the Eve Livingston book I referenced earlier, and in it she quotes um, the great Mike Davis as well. Far from soapboxes, megaphones, and rousing their workmates to rebellion with a single fiery speech, writes American historian and activist Mike Davis in his book Old Gods, New Enigmas, the rank-and-file organiser is more like a patient gardener, sowing the seeds, cultivating the sprouts, and laying the groundwork for unionism to bloom. The work of an organiser is long and hard and involves finding common ground with those who initially see nothing like you. It means reaching out to people of different backgrounds and character, going beyond those who are politically engaged and with social and cultural capital to raise the voices of the quietest and most marginalised, providing resources and information that speak to them. It means laying the groundwork and building the relationships so that when the moment is right, the union is ready. This is the hardest but most essential work of the labour movement. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. My, I mean, to me, to really quickly explain organising, I would say, like, what are you organising? After organi- Mike Davis. I'm going <laughs> to give it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Davis miss? Yeah. So I would say... Like, an easy way of explaining organising is, uh, what are you organising? Like, you're not organising the, like, the paper clips in your drawer, are you? are not, like, putting your pants and socks in separate little, like, boxes in a, in a in special IKEA box you bought for your drawer. What are you organising? You're organising the working class. You're organising the workers. And what does that mean? Well, you need everyone pulling in the same direction. Because where does our power come from? We're not... And I've probably said this on the podcast before. We're not cleverer than them we're not better educated than them we are right but that doesn't really count for much they've got more money (laughs) and resources um the the law is on their side many of the institutions are on their side the one thing that we have that they don't have 
is numbers, huge, huge amounts of numbers compared to them. And the organizing is getting everyone pulling in the same direction. And that's what that is. And so to do that, there are various things you need to be doing, like knowing where your members are and what they think, you know, knowing which direction they're pulling and trying to organize them all into the same direction. Um, checking that they know what's going on. Um, and then also like finding the people who are pulling in the opposite direction and pulling them around. So that, that's kind of what organizing is. Now, the opposite of that, what unions have been doing that isn't that, is having negotiators. And this is like the problem with trade unionism in the UK for a few years, decades probably, is it's about people thought what it was about was someone who knew the rules and knew the laws could go into a room, bang their hand on the table, demand a thing, management go, no, actually, and they go oh, well, I tried my best, then they leave again. <laughs> it's, like beer and sa- it's like beer and sandwiches approach kind of thing. Just, just doesn't cut it. Like, why would they listen if they don't have to? Why would they listen if they don't have to? They have opposite aims to us. They want us to work harder for less money. They just do. Even if they're nice, even if you like them, even if you went on a sponsored marathon run with your management, ultimately their job is better and easier if you work harder for less money and less complaining. They're not... Pu- we pull in a different direction from them. Um... So that, so that that is organising, and there's things that that isn't organising, and unfortunately, our unions in this in this country like need to change. But I do think there is an appetite for change, and I do think there are ways we can do it. But I think the first way is to just by lead, lead by example. Um, and the great thing about the McAlevey kind of sort of model, although she would say it's not her model, but with you know, this, this organising the power approaches, um, you can just do it and completely subvert any kind of sticky union proxy that doesn't really want you to do it that way. You just do it and you get results and then the union proxy has to kind of go along with you anyway. So um, that's that's what I find useful anyway. Can I add one thing? Um, it's not necessarily about what organising is, but I think it's. I've, I've been to a lot of things and heard a lot of people talk about like... Uh, love in activism and like anti-capitalism and love and um you know how important it is to 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 kind of feel that that ultimately what you're doing is because you you do love each other like you're you're organizing because you're supporting each other and I think it's really important and, and great organizers actually I think are those people like Tom said that 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 can talk to anyone or, or will talk to anyone regardless of like how alike or different you are um, and they really make it clear as well that that collectively um you know, things can work because actually you do all love each other. Like it's, it's really cheesy, but I've definitely felt that in my workplace. Like we all, you know, we've had a bit of issue, an issue recently with our manager and, but collectively we've all kind of, you know, got each other's backs and that is a very powerful feeling. And I think, um, any organizing that doesn't make that connection. I mean, I don't think it's possible to organize without making that connection with people, but I think that's really, really powerful. And, um, people do respond to it. It's a very natural thing to respond to. Someone sticks up for you. You stick up for them. Um, that's, that's it really. Um, but yeah, that's it. Actually, it's really interesting to say, and ultimately like we have to remember, especially, you know, the the thing that the education union has um, is that the reason we are doing our jobs and the Mm. reason we want those jobs to be good is for the kids that we teach. Like, that's love. I mean, if if that is not the most sort of important reason to to do anything and to organise, I can't think of another, like, any other reason, really. Like, it is literally about the future of our children. Well, that and to completely dismantle and destroy all the bourgeois institutions. I mean, that too, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a nice little, you know, that'll be, I'll enjoy that as a nice side that's dish. That's the cherry well. on the top, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, no, I mean, but on that, yeah, I mean, so the, the, the idea of the, the love thing is, is good. And that's great if you, if you do have those kind of relationships with your colleagues and you build that, you build those bonds through, through struggle. Mm. But there is the hard, that's in a way, that's the, the low hanging fruit. That's the easier bit. But what Akalevi is saying is that, that you have to have these tough conversations and you do because you're trying to get super majorities. So you're trying to flip the people who are harder and harder and harder to get because they're further and further away from what you yeah. believe. Um, and that is just hard. Like I, like I feel like a bit of a coward with these things sometimes. Like on the doorstep, you know, in 2019, we were going into really hostile kind of places and knocking doors and I felt that was fine. But there's something about like talking to colleagues that makes me like wince a little bit more and I feel like a bit of a coward. I mean, and it's not just that kind of resilience, just the resilience that you need to be on the left in 2021 it is is quite you know we're not we're not there yet i don't feel we haven't built that up i mean if you sort of talk to some older comrades who've kind of been all the way through the blair years and stuff starmer gets in all these suspensions and a lot of them are just like yeah that's right you know we'll, we'll deal with it you know they've just kind of been through the mill and they've seen it and we're not quite there yet and you can see that with the reaction to uh the right taking over the the labor party people kind of being like well i'm done with this now and it's like well it was never gonna be easy um, and you know, I, I, I coined a phrase that I'm going to try and use. Let's just get it down before I say it, you know, it's called the class struggle, not the class cuddle. Yeah. Oh, if it was God. easy <laughs> coming to a t-shirt near you, but if it was easy, if it was easy, like it's not easy. It is a struggle. It is a struggle, but yeah. I think to do that struggle, you need this kind of, it's not superhuman. It's not a superhuman amount of resilience because plenty of our you know our ancestors in the movement have mm. have had this thing but what kind of what i'm asking is like how do we build that how do we get that grit in us because it's not going to happen in a day it's not going to happen in a year you know it's it, these are long-term things and we need to have something it's some kind of fire in us to keep going back for more and like you know in battles that i have in the workplace it's like quite hard to it's can be quite hard to juggle that in your brain because you're kind of thinking look this thing is going to affect us really badly in the future if we don't deal with it now. But I have to kind of pick myself up and keep going. As well as the teaching, I'm also, like, fighting, like, multiple battles, trying to get people involved in things. And, you know, I can't just, you know, come home every day and listen to Chumbawamba or I get knocked down. <laughs> I, I could do that. You know, that, you know that, and that, I th that part of that, it seems silly, but that is, that, that is what you need. It's like, punch me in the face... I'll get back up, punch me in the face, I'll get Thanks back up. Thanks for giving me the earworm. But it's like, how do you... Yeah, but it's like on the left... I like, might put a clip in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get knocked down, but I get up again. I'd like, but how do we... I mean, the, the drinking several drinks, that's also part of teaching, but it's the, it's the like... It's how do we on the left build that kind of resilience? Because you just really... And you can see it as well, that the thing of like... Uh, you know, Unison at Labour Party conference, the Unison link, uh, they voted for the rule changes to not try and gerrymander the leadership elections. And you see people on Twitter be like, cutting up their Unison card. And it's like, you don't understand this process at all, do you? You don't, that, you know, it's fine to be annoyed with these things, but like, you're not getting it at all. You don't have any kind of like future street. Like, how does that possibly strategically help you in any way, leaving the union that you're in? in your workplace <laughs> that represents you that you could be involved in that you have some kind of democratic say and that you leave it and like yeah whatever there's arguments to leave the lay party or at least to just like disengage but at the same time to me that's just like I think it is a failure of resilience and long term thinking but I'm just as guilty of that as anyone you know sometimes I, I, I come home and I'm just I've got this like 
little homunculus of the CEO of my trust, like in my brain going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're going to make you all teach the same stuff off a script. Yeah, but it's yeah. going to be in three years time. Ha ha. Yeah. No one's ever going to, none of your members rep- responded to your email. Ha ha. No one's listening to you kind of thing. And I don't know what you think I'm kind of sort of fishing for compliments really to tell me that I am actually <laughs> oh, a, a good organiser yeah, do you know what I mean I, do, do you see what I'm getting at like how, what, how do we build more of that strength because yeah. it does require an insane amount of resilience because it is hard and it's only going to get harder and if we're going to win or get close to winning the attacks are going to be worse so it's like we need to it's the Tony Benn thing toughen up bloody toughen up it's like alright how mm. yeah. well I think this us sat around here is a good example of this that I Lee, for example, and I always turn to him for affirmation. It's like, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I am right, Lee. Please just tell me I'm right. Yeah, this is what I've said to this person. I'm definitely right. Thank you. I just need constant affirmation. Uh, But yeah, it is is tough, but I think Anu's point about love can't be underestimated. And I think in the last 18, 19 months, it's been dreadful, but it's been opportunities. We've been able to build networks that wouldn't have existed otherwise. We've been able to do training, training. and connect with people in other parts of the country, in different countries, different continents, even that we would not have just been able, people would not have thought to do otherwise. The um, the organising for Power Strike School is a good example of something which was nascent before the pandemic, but definitely took off um, in reaction to it. But yes, I suppose combining that kind of resilience that we have inherently had to build during COVID and kind of adding to it this, the opportunities and the nice aspects of working in a school the pleasure the privilege of being able to go and um teach some amazing kids and work with some amazing colleagues to teach kids as best as possible so it's it has just been really nice this year to be able to be like oh, i'm gonna go and sit with this person for lunch um this is a person i've not really spoke to before but i'm gonna go and reach out to them this someone's been been in this workplace a week now but i'm gonna go have a chat with them ask them if they joined the um, if they've joined the union what they're liking about the job what what they think could be improved about the job which is certainly something people could be in a job for years and never be asked what you think can be improved about your job little things like that um do bear fruit over time and i think it's about kind of you in yourself you just need to kind of model um what a resilient um organizer we've discussed a bit that that term and how that term gets a bit fudged and confused at times but it is just in your interactions you you do have to be positive and that can be quite draining and exhausting but I think, yeah, it's two things you need to keep in mind why we do it. So I can think, for example, being in a position to go and and visit and um, see members and and attend in-person meetings. I went to a school a few weeks ago um, to meet with a member and it was just really nice walking into this school. We've never been to this school before and just seeing a really kind of like lovely interaction. This was... um, this was a pupil referral unit. Just seeing the staff um, interacting with students with such love and such compassion, that's the sort of thing you wouldn't have been able to see much of because you just weren't in the position to visit other workplaces for such a long period of time um yeah and I think and at the other end just yeah just kind of I suppose and again we're guilty of it right now we all talk too much you do you do have to listen everyone does have their one thing everyone does have their issue and it goes back to to the kind of the, the great kind of basic nuts and bolts techniques that Jane McLeavy talks about and writes about and um, teaches about. It's like, yeah, what are your issues? You tell me what is the one or two things you cannot get solved by going to knock on your boss's door because they'll laugh in your face and tell you to piss off. (laughs) If it's an issue for you and it's an issue for your mate down the corridor, then it's a union issue. What's the solution? Build your union and, and, yeah. Um, I will just try and sort of tie off what, what Nick's been driving towards, you know, um... I 
I'm a warrior. And, uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Do you and, say warrior? Yeah. A, a wor- warrior. Class warrior. Yeah. Class, Class warrior. warrior. <laughs> That's another T-shirt. Um, but I guess the uh, the revelation that I've experienced uh, over the over the last eighteen months is that um, you know uh, the more I worried did not make me a more effective organiser or trade unionist and I think um, you know you mentioned that sort of you know that homunculus on your shoulder the voice the voice of self-doubt in your head there needs to be a critical distance from from a lot of things because um, uh, you can worry to the point where you make yourself very ill and you can self-criticise to the point where mm-hmm. you're, you're barely able to function as a person but um you know, you got to look after yourself. You got to live in balance because uh, you're no use to anyone if you're completely strung out and uh, full of that um, fragility, that that desperation. You know, um, <laughs> you know, my my nervous energy is at times it makes me a fantastic teacher, but it's also a massive liability in my character. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess if we were going to try and wrap this all up, it is about self-awareness, but it's also about um, being honest, both with yourself and your friends. Because, uh, and I, I believe I said this to uh, an audience of student teachers recently, there is no problem that cannot be solved collectively, or at least ameliorated. There we are. I mean, yeah, my, my sort of, Amen. My sort of <laughs> specific example of this, I had to send quite a long email to my members, which involved involved showing them a, an email back that we got from our CEO before the summer. We basically had done a workplace petition because we suspect they're trying to align all of our curricula. So they're saying, oh, you're just going to have aligned assessments. We're not really going to do the curricula. But it's like, well, you obviously you are. Um, which is going to cause huge workload, like smash our autonomy to pieces, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's like really worrying, like annoying stuff. So we did this like workplace petition really quickly uh, without even really doing any proper organising, like going down a list of members. We got like 60 out of 100 of our members to sign this thing, which included like a bullet point on like why academies are bad as well and that we'd be prepared to like escalate action. So anyway, send that off. Um, and uh, we got like an absolutely violent spewing email back from mm-hmm. the uh, from the CEO, who a lot of people in my school just like they cannot stand him. They can't. They can't. They can't, they, they can't even talk about him. They hate him so much. Uh, which is sort of that's another topic because it's not necessarily that help, he- helpful to like hate someone personally rather than the system. But so, so I so I we, we finally realised it was time to like send the members this email because it was pretty nasty. It was like targeting the school for being shit, targeting the teachers for being shit, trying to make draw this cleavage between the reps and the members saying we're just like going off half cocked and you know we just don't we don't speak for anyone and that kind of stuff it's like mm, well, we're kind of elected and you're on a six-figure salary and you've got no accountability but right, fuck you but like then <laughs> be like and then so i sent this email and basically just instantly just felt like bad just felt felt really bad and was like okay why aren't any of the other reps uh telling me it was a good email well you know, the other reps who i've got why didn't they tell me it was good uh and then and so i just felt horrible about it went into work the next day the first three people i spoke to were like excuse my french what the fuck was that guy talking about <laughs> and that was just amazing and i was yes. just walking on clouds the rest of the day saying yes people are talking about how bad this is let's go let's go it's there but it's just <laughs> such a like it's such an up and down thing and i think if you're listening to this and you are in a union, you have reps. And I do have members who, you know, they're like, really, thank you for what you're doing. It's like, I don't, I'm pleased that you appreciate what we're doing, but I don't want your thanks. I want you to be involved. That's, that's mm. it. That's it. Mm. So I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking you've got reps in the workplace or something's happening or you respect your reps or whatever, you should go up to them and not only say thank you, 
don't even say that. Say, what you're doing is really important. How can I help? Yeah. What you're doing is really important. How can I help? And that's what that's what you should do. Because you don't need to thank me because I know that you're grateful because you're saying, let's do this and let's make this better. That's the, that's the best thing. Like as a rep or an organiser or anything like that, just go up to someone. That, yeah, this is really important. How, how can I help? Um, yeah. Great. Uh, we're just on that thing about needing constant affirmation. If you're liking what you hear so far, hey! uh, can can you just send us a message and tell us that you liked it, or just uh, something you found interesting? Questions, comments, yeah, just please on any platform that you're listening. Retweet to us, on. follow yeah. us. Not enough people follow us because you know we have some pretty good takes on things. Sometimes you're basically just missing those. And think about <laughs> think about how it makes us feel. <laughs> That is at requires pod. Yeah. On that, that might be a good bit. Thank you. Yeah. At requires pod on Twitter. Um, Lauren, did you want to talk about your requires improvement? Yeah, um, mine is okay. Um, is about sort of uniform policies and also how we're being made to made to implement them. So obviously, um, at the moment, it's you know a, a sort of male violence against women is absolutely you know, number one news story at the moment for a good reason, obviously conviction of, of the murder of Sarah Everard, um, a serving police officer who actually used his status as a police officer to falsely arrest her. Um, I mean, we could I could go on to the whole thing about how basically the police, it's not just a bad apple, it's institutional. The fact that he was known as the rapist and... A bad... The, can we just kill this analogy? Yeah, I know. The analogy is yeah. a bad apple spoils the barrel. A yes. bad apple spoils the barrel. It doesn't It doesn't mean there is some apples that are bad. Yeah. It means it rots and it infects and it destroys everything. Thank you. Let's just kill that dead right you. now. Right. It's so irritating. Yeah. I, I've just been taught. It's not your fault. <laughs> not, thanks to our nautical barrel expert. Yeah. <laughs> but... Like, but but that whole point, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like the the, the excuse, anyway. That, I mean, that that is a, is a whole other thing that I could I could probably talk about for ages. Um, but linking it back to education is, I'm so fed up. I mean, I'm fed up as 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 a, as a human being. I'm fed up as as a, a woman human being um, of just still having to deal with this shit. It's like I'm 35 years old and I'm fed up of it. Like I'm fed up of since as soon as I could remember, as soon as I was old enough, having to watch myself, having to worry about what I wore, like my body just being constantly scrutinised, whether it was because I was got taken the piss out of being flat chested in school and then ironically grew massive tits later on in life. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, but all of these things, like it, it's just... I'm so tired of it, and I know that every single woman you talk to will say the same. They're just we're just fed up with it. We're fed up with having to just walk through life with a level of fear and a level of mental admin that we have to do that is just not even like not even acknowledged or or just seen as uh, just completely normalised. So bringing it back to schools is I am now having to into have interactions with girls about the uniforms because their trousers are too tight. Why? why? Why the fuck? Sorry, in 2021, am I being forced to sexualise a child um, to, again, blame, like, this idea that... And, and I genuinely... These conversations I have with, with about uniform are 80% to, to female students, mm -hmm. all right? So it's things like jewellery, hair, um, makeup, um, tight trousers, all the rest of it. 
I mean, I'm not saying I'm necessarily anti-uniform. I think there are, there are many arguments that actually uniform is, is quite a good thing in a way. Fascism. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Um, I'm joking, sorry. Uh, but I just mean in terms of, like, if you're a poor parent and yeah, you, you, yeah, you haven't got to worry about the brand yeah, name yeah. shit, like, honestly, yeah. like, Nick, I, I would have been... As long as it's cheap as well. I, I would have been screwed at school because, yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm a poor family not having all the Adidas and whatnot. Like, I had two striped trousers, do you know what I mean? Um, oh, where's so, that? My yeah, friend, two stripes. My friend two stripes. used to be like, where's your third stripe gone? She thought, it was hilarious yeah, yeah. yeah so but anyway but but i mean only for that reason not for like the uniform reason but just in the sense of like okay it does help out a lot of like poorer parents and, and, and worrying about what's in the kids you know and, and that aspect of it um but but the point is is that i uh, victim blaming starts early on and we know full well like the the, the report that offset released last year about the pervasiveness of sexual assault against girls and i, and I read it recently uh, and and one of the things was about you know that girls report that teachers are just so out of touch with their lives and out of touch with how they're getting sexually harassed and, and what's actually going on. And, mm-hmm. and and part of that, I think that we don't help by focusing on things like the tightness of their trousers and the length of their skirts and all this. Because we're basically saying to girls from a young age, oh, by the way, if he touches you, yeah, but, you know, your skirt's a bit short though, isn't it, love? Yeah. Like, you kind of ask for it a bit. And if we are going to get rid, if we're actually going to move forward as a society and make sure that this shit doesn't happen... Um, we have to deal with male violence against women, but we also have to deal with the normalisation of of rape culture, essentially, and normalisation of sexual assault. And that has got to start with schools, and we actually have to start doing something about it. Um, I, I, it just, I'm just really fed up with it because, well, uh, being a female and, and, and all the rest of it, but just how... You know, even just things like this app. So one of the suggestions, again, is about like, oh, BT are going to release this AAA app, which means that if a woman's not home by a certain time, they'll alert the police. Well, sorry, pardon me, but isn't it too fucking late by then? If something's actually happened to her, isn't it too fucking late? How is that? How is that preventing anything? And if we're going to prevent things, we need to change the attitudes. And we're not going to change the attitudes if we are still subjecting girls and making them hyper aware of their bodies and their sexuality at a very young age. And, and certainly, you know, essentially victim blaming anyway that's my requires improvement and yes it was a bit ranty but i'm fucking angry i've got uh, <laughs> i've got an outstanding though that i could put in here from my school uh so the kind of new sort of uh sort of head of sixth form has sort of come in and, and and sort of tried to put their stamp on things a little bit and uh they basically told they said right that you know the not really harsh but they basically said okay because our sixth form the kids just wear whatever they want basically uh, and uh, they were saying, right, you're going to have to smarten up the kind of dress regulations a bit. So no crop tops allowed. And uh, what's amazing is, like, some of the kids that used to be in my tutor group uh, were just like, no, and just basically got up in her face and just said, we're not going to do this. How dare you? We're feminists. We should be able to decide um, what we wear. Um, and then the pushback is like, well, you know, it should be like a bit more form, a bit like work. No, it's not. It's not like work. We don't have to wear suits. It's not a work environment. Boys turn up in tracksuit trousers. They look like they've just rolled out of bed. Why would you make us feel any more weird about this? And they literally got in the person's face. And yes. she's, ba- she's basically had to drop it. Because, yes. Because it was just clear that they were going to go. And I would never, and both of the teachers as well would also be like, I'm not going to police that. Yeah. I'm literally not going to do also, it. But also, like, don't you feel uncomfortable doing it? I had a conversation with a male colleague about it as well. I'm never going to do it. Yeah. I'm never going to tell a girl feels... to roll a skirt. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. But... Make me do it. I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to. I mean, so... it's vile. It's vile that, that we're making, like, and, and again, interesting, I had a, a, a <clears throat> conversation with a male colleague in my department, and he was like, 
yeah, I, I just find it really, hey, you female female underage girl there, I'm going to mm. comment on the tightness of your trousers. Mm. No. Let me get the tape measure yeah, out to yeah, see if these are in regulation. It's absolutely weird. weird. I mean, oh. you know, these, these are standard talking points around uniform, but so many countries like the entire country of Germany do not have school uniform. Also, a lot of workplaces don't have uniform yeah, 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 yeah. these days. For me, you know, I, I really appreciate Lauren's comments about, you know, that, that there are there are some students who, who benefit from that that visual conformity because it may mask underlying, like, Yeah, my thing is the conformity thing. It's just about the fact that, like, if you're from a really poor family... Mm. Like, it's just, I don't know, it, I know uh, there are both sides to the argument. I'm not saying I'm yeah. pro-uniform exactly, but I'm also aware that there are some, uh, you know, I, I, I just find where... that some managers really hone in on this as their their thing that is going to raise standards, and I've never connected it in my mind between how well a kid's going to learn and how they're fucking dressed. What we need is for girls to learn how to wear ties so that when they leave school... They never wear a tie ever in their life ever because that's just not a thing that any women do. Apart from police women, actually, that's the only thing I can think of where women wear ties. It's just the um, it's the kind of <laughs> it's the direct the uniform things, the directive you give to like new SLT that they've they've suddenly created a job for and they've got nothing else to do and they just sort of like implement it as their thing and then it gets shouted down and then that person goes off sick for a long time. I mean, I, not that, that happened ever, but like, yeah, it's just like. It, it, yeah what what is the what what possibly can this do and you and you point out like actually a lot of this is quite um classist as well you're oh, yeah. you're directly kind of going to affect probably well a lot of non-white people with your hair your rules about hair or jewelry as well it's like you know have you actually thought this through um turns out no like they haven't so yeah bullshit well, a, lot of them, a lot of slt or i've seen more than one slt make reference to the so-called broken window theory, which is oh obviously from Rudy Giuliani. It's like, that's never going to... Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> never going to be. So I've got one other outstanding thing. Sorry, one other outstanding thing on this. Had some, like, really worried uh, year eight students come to me at the end of um, a lesson, and they were talking about a way that they'd been bullied, and I've never heard... Uh, I've never heard students actually complain about this as bullying before so I think it is a bit of progress and when I told their tutor that they'd said this she was like that's what I've been training them to do so this is kind of brilliant they were really upset that this like this boy had basically kind of in his his head compiled a list and he used the phrase the most bangable girls in year eight these kind of like three three um three girls uh in, in year eight and they were telling me about this and they what was really interesting is that he had told another boy and then that boy had been really upset by this and he'd t- spoken to the girls because he's their friend, he's a really nice, really nice lad, and then they'd come to me to report it because they were upset with it. And that, I think, is, is brilliant and that is a sign of some kind of hope because yeah. they are just not going to take this toxic masculine bullshit anymore. They know, yeah. it's, they know it's not right, it feels wrong and they have, a, they have an avenue to challenge it and there's, they have allies in that because some of the boys are with them and that I just thought was really... Mm, that was yeah. really heartening. That's amazing. That was really heartening. And if that, if that is happening elsewhere, then that is, that is very, very good. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, the message <clears throat> that we should be sending our girls is this. It's not your behaviour, OK? Nothing you do will affect what 
is you know will affect what happens to you what another person does to you nothing you wear nothing you say whatever right that is not about you any any kind of assault in any way is not about anything that they've done it's about the perpetrator and we need to flip this narrative and that is what we should be teaching our girls i mean that end of okay like it's never your fault like you know and the fact that we're still sat here in 2021 and we're still, you know, having a conversation about fucking tightness of clothes, it, it's, you know, it, it's just, I, 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 I'm just sick of it, really. And, and yeah, as you say, it's good that, it's good that we are having that change narrative. And it's really lovely that story from your school, and, and I, and I know that it is getting things are changing a bit, and girls are, you know, feeling like they are able to speak up a bit more about these things. Um, okay, so my requires improvement. Um, I guess it's just uh, teaching in <laughs> teaching in a prison <laughs> generally um, is requires improvement. Um, so recently, I've been having sort of a few conversations with people about how long, like my colleagues mainly, about how long we can sort of do this for for various reasons. Um, but it's just quite depressing to think that you have in your classroom. Um, you know, a disproportionate number of, well, I teach in a male prison, men who are black, Asian or GRT, um, who compared to the, the population, a disproportionate number of people with like quite severe, uh, special educational needs, um, well, actually moderate to severe, mm. um, like a huge proportion if not everyone I come across has some sort of mental health issue um, and, you know, a disproportionate number of men who didn't finish school were either excluded or left early because they had, you know, they just could. No one followed it up. They just left. Um, and it just feels like... Oh, sorry, yeah, disproportionate number of men who were in care or care leavers. And um, it's just, it, it's quite depressing to think that, you know, whilst we do what we can um, to address that person, like, holistically, because we do, there's a lot of, you know, I'm doing way more pastoral sort of stuff than I ever did in, in school because you had the systems in place uh, to deal with, the pastoral side but when it came to children and young people um like you had that whole departments you have yeah. quite stringent like processes and stuff but in you know like they just education isn't isn't seen as a priority in prisons you know the kind of the, the point of prisons is to control men and women just to lock them up and not really think about them and this kind of education as rehabilitation is just something like some government mandate that they thought well we've you know we've got to have the kind of veneer of like respectable civil society here so we'll just we'll, we'll educate them but it doesn't actually for the majority it's not um it, it's not working you know it's not rehabilitative um what what is what is great is that that you know that every day you have the you have teachers interacting with people they're not just it's not just an officer or a screw um or a grunt just sort of like ignoring them or yeah locking them behind the door shouting them treating them like children like some of the the ways that they talk to some of these men is just you know you wouldn't have teachers in school talking to children like naughty boys or girls like this um but we get to like make them feel 
you know, like someone cares, like they're a human, that they have options, that they have choices. And, um, but I think what's really difficult is that I have to kind of, I don't, I don't tell them functional skills, learning functional skills, English is going to change their life at all. But I do, um, talk to them about, you know, the agency that maybe learning will give them, um, and how, yeah, how getting out of your cell and, and just doing something different and having to interact with other people and like using the room as a safe space um, is really, really valuable for them. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it's, it's a bit depressing, I think. And um, I think, I think also the other thing that I was thinking is that like, there's, there's quite a good like, emerging movement in schools to sort of make the link between those kids who are excluded and those kids who are in care and whatever and and how we have this like school to prison pipeline in that sense and obviously no more exclusions I've done so much work on that um and Zara Zara Bay and we've got Lana in Bristol um yeah and they're, they're just just really prolific hard work um but the the link the link to you know educators in prison is it just isn't there i mean obviously to some extent it's like well why would by that point it's too late (laughs) you know they're in prison you know um but i you know i'm sort of trying to talk to my colleagues about you know prison expansion sort of like what do we think about this and secure schools and um and everyone's aware that there's this horrible situation where every single guy in my class is probably excluded from school at some point and isn't that terrible or you know and like we we shouldn't be here to like sort out their mental health issues that isn't they shouldn't be in here because primarily they've got mental health issues everyone's aware of that but the kind of um the kind the sort of the link the like social context link and the sort of um link to like you know the the politics of this is is just not there for a lot of people so um been trying to do a bit of that recently just sort of talking to people um about this like we're going to start a reading group which is great um which means I can sort of like suggest certain readings as well like you know when we get it off the ground and I think the, the like yeah, like I say, people are aware of this and they know it feels wrong. They know it's wrong, but it's just like doing that strategic organising maybe we're thinking about um, to, to get people like fully engaged in in how we can like force people to do things better. Like, um, yeah, so I just want to say I've had a few particular instances where this is where I felt really disheartened but also heartened I've just got I've had a an amazing guy in one of my classes he's got really severe ADHD um he's doing an entry level in he's completed an entry level English course and he's um a traveler and I just spent he he couldn't shut up because of his ADHD so it was quite difficult you know he couldn't sit down he drank about four coffees a session you know it was like quite difficult to manage but he really eloquently spoke to me about his life as a traveler and how he's been criminalized and targeted and um the the way that their police just has had no consideration of their way of life and the way that in their community they sort of deal with issues and and talk to each other and and stuff so it got re- you know while it was really sad to see him in there because 
I'm not going to reveal bits about his case, but to be honest, he shouldn't have been, from, from what I knew, yeah. it was a, a very, not a watertight case against yeah. him. Um, but it was just really heartening to hear this guy speak so eloquently about what it meant to be a traveller and his journey that 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 has ended in prison. And, um, you know, this is a guy who can barely write, but he's just fucking sparky as hell, just hugely intelligent, hugely emotionally intelligent. They're the things that make this worth doing. Yeah just meeting those people and trying to give them a bit of hope but yeah um I guess like to to kind of summarize it is like uh, like ab- abolition needs to be really seriously thought about and looked at and and demystified as well you know like um because as soon as you say the word ab- abolition, like, you know, it's like, well, close down the prisons tomorrow. That's a ridiculous idea. That isn't what abolition's about. You know, it's a, it is a process of building up institutions outside of prisons um, and um, foregrounding people in communities who have certain skills and, you know, funding proper education, social care, mental health um housing kind of you know fundamental aspects of society and thinking about about how we do that to then kind of filter filter in to that space where we're just incarcerating people so we don't have to do that it's interesting because i uh there are we were talking earlier about numbers of police officers in schools Mm. and how that's massively increasing and so it's gone up from you know, seven or eight new um, school-based police officers in Bristol schools from oh, this term. It's, so that's, um, yeah. I, I always feel a bit uncomfortable with that because I just think, well... A little it's bit uncomfortable. Like, or more than that. I don't know. It's a bit, no, no, not that's a word. I mean, sorry. I, I'm, I'm going to rephrase that. I'm going to say it how it There's should be. There's a lot be. of school buses that come in that could I, regulate those police. I hate. So, those buses all the time around school, so and they will be. They will be safe. They, the police wouldn't be able to do anything bad. I genuinely know that school. I'm going to rephrase worry. that. I fucking hate it. And what, what I mean is, that when I say a little bit uncomfortable, is every time I walk past them in their uniform, I do like. Mm. As in that, that like, my body tenses up. Like, I genuinely just, I don't like it. It's like whenever you see a police car, whatever. I don't view the police, unfortunately. Oh, not unfortunately, because, you know, well, they, they should be viewed as a safety thing. You know, I shouldn't look at a police car or a police officer and automatically feel unsafe and scared yeah, yeah, totally. and on edge, which is what I do. And I think, God, if they're in schools, like, I, I feel, that's how I feel walking past a police officer. Imagine being like a kid you know you're 12 you're 13 it's like you're always seeing this police officer why we're a school like why 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 do we have police officers in schools um i know there's things about community policing and trying to you know mm-hmm. make them seem friendlier and trying to build ties with the community and all that um again you know it's it'd be interesting to see how many um of those you know what what the um male to female ratio of, of officers mm-hmm. in schools are as well that'd be something interesting to see well, that'd be interesting like, yeah my workplace it's, yeah like um, how many it's a female police officer in my workplace um, mine when we had one but we don't know yeah but i think it's a, it's an interesting one i think it link it ties back to discussion about organizing and that kind of it being a broad term because i think you go to a school and you'd speak to a lot of kind of people working in a school, they wouldn't initially see the problem. Be like, well, yeah, it's the police. They're, they're there to protect us. So, yeah, there's now um, a school-based police officer in my school. I can remember assembly 
a couple of years ago pre-covid and they got kind of people from who were from the local area went to the school who like done good as it were from like a working class uh, community and I had, I had a guy who was um in the met and um yeah i remember the assembly really vividly because it's one of those moments where it's like why didn't i actively invisibly call this out at the moment that i saw it but then we discuss it's not easy to do that always mm. and it was in the assembly this guy was like talking about his experience working in the met and he was making all these very veiled references to to peckham and it's like the kind of they weren't racial undertones it was clear it was a nod and a wink to to a group of like kids many of whom were black kids about like yeah this is a dodgy area i i was policing yeah. black boys and isn't that a fucking hard job and it was it was so disgusting and so uncomfortable but i'm sure the person who organized this was one well, the person who organized a very well-meaning well-intentioned person very good um in lots of aspects a lot of in in relation to pastoral care for children but i think that's kind of what you're kind of up against and i think um campaigning for kind of abolition of the police and even just the abolition of police in schools is an interesting challenge um to to kind of go up against and i think yeah it would be it'll be a, a big piece of work and a long-term piece of work that will start with winning round our own members in the national education union in this city to see precisely why this is a problem and it is it is challenging i worked in a school for four years with um with a police officer and this was in a school where kind of 99 of the kids were black or brown and this police officer was uh quite a well-liked member of the community and I never once saw him in his uniform in four years he was liked by the kids um but he served more of the function of a counsellor which begs the glaringly obvious question yeah. like, why not yeah. have a counsellor yeah. instead of a fucking police yeah. officer yeah. in the school but I mean yeah I think the big picture is like yeah you might get a good one you might get let's just <laughs> probably more often than not going to get a really really dreadful bad one apple. sorry but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it's sort of, and I think good arguments have been made, and they're repeatedly made about like why education is important. So you spend the money now on education, you don't spend it later on banging these same people up. Mm-hmm. But I think increasingly it's glaringly obvious now that like spending all that money to imprison and police and control these people is precisely the point. People yeah. would much rather spend much more money policing yeah. adults, young adults, uh, youth offenders, rather than spending the hard money at a preschool level, when they're born, when they're starting out in life. It's precisely the point, yeah. Yeah, like, I just... Like, because I've talked a little bit vaguely about, you know, working in prisons being the thing that requires improvement. Just to, just to explicate what I'm saying. So I've got a, a student who's being released on Monday. Um, he He's he's homeless. He's been homeless for decades, Um and he's a drug addict, like a lot of people in there. Um, and he's being released to no fixed abode. Um, so, you know, he's, yeah, it's just like, so I've spent quite a lot of time with him because he's quite, he was quite a difficult character, but he's ended up being someone I really, really had like quite a nice relationship with. You know, he's like worked really hard given like he's got, he's, he's a bit aggy, he's a bit, bit, bit defensive, bit dismissive of some things, but he's really warmed up, you know, other people in the cast really warmed to him because he's quite an unusual character who believes that he might have been abducted by aliens at some point. Um, um, but he's, you know, he's kind of, his experience in prison is of him saying, I'm homeless and I don't want to be released in winter homeless. Um, I need various, you know, there are various support support kind of mechanisms inside. You get resettlement, you get people that deal with housing, etc. But 
again, I don't know what their jobs are like, but I assume they've got a huge caseload and they're overworked, but it's like sort of shoving something under his door for him to read. And it's sort of like this guy needs... He's he's literate, he's intelligent, but he's got a myriad of problems. He needs someone to sit with him and just, like, show him a bit of human care and talk him through processes, maybe help him fill out a form, rather than, yeah, just being left. So the only time he gets any of that is when he comes into a classroom. Um, But it's completely fucking pointless for him. Like, what is a functional skills qualification going to do for this guy who gets out? And he said himself, you know, I'll be in a doorway and I will do something to get me back inside because... Um, he said, like, you know, this isn't a ho- this to, to many people, miss, this isn't at home. But for me, it is a roof over my head, three meals a day. You know, I get method, my methadone. Um, you know, you could have a shower, etc. And he's like, you know, I'm, I just see you around Christmas, probably, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And like, so it's just feels so when you're, t- I think, when you're teaching in that environment, it, it, there are, there, are, there are small kind of wins and there's things that give you satisfaction because not every student, you know, doesn't get anything then leaves to nothing. Lots of them, you know, have a, have a really enriching experience in education even... I'll, I'll do another requires improvement about functional skills, but even though they're just getting a functional skills qualification, um, you know, it gives them hope and they leave and they, you know, there's something that they've got to go on. One third of prisoners don't reoffend. <laughs> So prison must work. It's not. It's, is it even that it's high a statistic? Re- it's two thirds reoffend within. Three years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the number of people now. I've been working there long enough to be like, oh, guess who's back in? You know, and it's just, it's just bonkers. Well, I guess the argument. It's absolutely the, mental. The reactionary argument is that that's why prisons should be way harsher. That, that, I mean, that's that's what some people would say, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. But then that's that's again that's a fault of like maybe people like educators not speaking up about what what they see in prison because you will get you know like the view of officers a lot of the time about what it's like in prison and what their kind of the the, the point of prison is etc. But there are so many other agencies working in a prison. You know, you've got the NHS, you've got mental health, you've got you've got housing, you've got family um, family liaison people working in prisons, you've got teachers like. Um, you know, like it, it just it makes no sense. And like, if 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 the kind of reactionaries want to get down to bottom lines, it's it's way more expensive to keep them in prison than to do anything else with them to like help them when they're on the out. It's just it just is. Well, I think it was interesting. Like one of the one of the bonus uh, world transformed events that we managed to go to because we were stuck there was uh, like the Brighton Kill the Bill. Yeah, group. that was great, and that was really interesting because they made a point that I kind of hadn't really solidified it in my head before, but they were saying like. People have it in their mind that prison is full of criminals who are like these kind of like evil supervillain type murderers, basically because most people just watch loads of films and TV where the police are heroes and the villains are psychopaths. <laughs> but in the real world, there's not that many people like that and it's not that simple. And actually what most of the people in prison are because they've made a mistake or several mistakes... Or probation has picked up a mistake, like they've been they've been ten minutes late to a probation meeting. They're back inside. Yeah. They've they've been in like the, on the wrong street in in you know it, there are there are a huge number of people in prison who are just there on recall 
for, for some minor infringement. So they're constantly, you know, you, your prison sentence doesn't end when you leave. You, you're sort of still... But I find myself, like, talking to kids, because the teacher RS, like, talking about uh, murder or law, like, various lots of ethical issues, and the thing they always raise is, like, murder. And sort of explains to them, it's like, people don't get murdered very often. That's not, that's not like, a big problem. And also, people don't... People don't not murder because there's a rule that says don't murder. Like, mostly people just don't really want to murder each other. It's not, not a thing that people do. Um, but I think it's probably, it's probably the best thing to come out of the Kill the Bill stuff. Like, probably won't beat this bill, but it's made a lot more people talk along abolitionist lines, I think. And, like, even I've noted, like, yeah, sort of certain views about the police, like, I've definitely solidified in my brain and definitely, like, more... More abolitionist things are more interested in these kind of things now, and I think people are talking about this stuff a lot more. Um, and that is really, that is really, that is that is a, that is a good part of the protest. That is that is some that is some fruit that has come out of the of the protest movement, even if we didn't get exactly what we, what no. we wanted. And obviously, with you know, going back to my requires improvement, like at the end of the day, we still know that in this country. If you rape someone, you're only three percent. Is it three percent conviction rate? That's, that's it's basically legal, <laughs> not legal, but it's basically like un unpunished. Yeah. Um, so, and it is that idea, isn't it? Crimes against property. Well, weren't the police originally set up anyway to protect property? Yeah. Um, uh, as well as essentially, the police force is a colonial police. Yeah, force. yeah. So you know, and, and is it any different now, really? You don't no, know. I mean, I guess like ultimately, a prison is is like a, you know tiny, tiny boxes full of poor people. Essentially, we're just locking up poor people, yeah. um, and there's some utility in that for for the people in charge. So, yeah. Um, but can on we that, try, yeah. can we not try and end it on some kind of more hopeful note? <laughs> <coughs> yeah, sorry. Um, like, what are you going to do? I got nothing. Um, <laughs> what <are you> gonna... <laughs> What's going... I think we could do it as in, like, what are you going to do next week to build union power in some way? What's one activity that each of us are going to do to build power in our workplace next week? I, well, I'm going to try and prompt people to go, to start the reading group. We have got a reading already, which is quite a helpful one. It's like a bell hooks read um, chapter from a book. Um, and I think that's a really great way of getting people engaged. And, um, and also you're all together having lunch together. So I'm lucky I've got a department, there's one education department, you know, and we all, we're all pretty close. And um, actually that's done wonders recently with, like I was saying, this issue with our manager um but yeah that's one thing i think could really start making a difference in how we look at our jobs and each other and supporting each other so that's my positive uh positive spin on this go on oh i said um i think i'm, I'm just going to carry on to having the chats with people like making sure now the staff room's actually a staff room again mm. going in there and mm. and just having those chats with people how you doing like what's going on and oh, that's just nice. keeping those lines of communication open you've yeah. got a staff room back yeah that's finally great. it's great yeah. although i think people have forgotten like that it's there now mm. people are so used to not using it that like you go in there and it's like empty all the time so like the colleague can start at the cake club yeah, yeah. And things like yeah. that to get yes. people in and stuff like all this kind of little things to get people back in there oh the union that's posters up uh, they are, yes. You'll be happy to know that. Um, 
yeah although you know could, another thing you could do as well is maybe you could talk to your you know whoever your, your you know your, your union reps your secretaries whoever that you need to speak to you are so like you know we can give you maybe a tiny little bit of money to put on a little bit of i know get some cakes and whatnot as a way of getting people in there are things you can do don't forget yeah. that these are you know we, we pay our subs and it, it, don't just think that, that, that that's that's something you can't sort of utilise if you are going to get people together. Oh lordy, there is a lot of money that we need to be using for things. Um, Lauren's point about the staff room has reminded me that we actually have a brand new staff room. Woo! We've actually um, like created a staff room out of some rather neglected classroom space. Not the, not exactly that sort of thing's going at a premium. But I need to uh, encourage the new rep I've recruited to replace me. She needs to uh, be petitioning management and on behalf of the members to get a notice board up there and I have got my own plans involving uh, circulating designs for our uh, new banner for the NEU district and I will be canvassing various screen printing companies for around £2,000 worth of uh, union merch and apparel Did you just say which district we're in? Yes Maybe just black that out Beep! <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, so I, I've got plenty to be getting on with, including getting a large ordnance survey map of the anonymous district that I work in. Big <laughs> shout! Uh, I love the ordnance survey. Yeah, similarly, stickers to his posters. Yeah, similarly, I have um, a large uh, power map of the large city in the southwest of England that shall not be named. <laughs> That I may or may not be um, taking time out of the classroom to undertake union duties in. Uh, there's a map there, and if in this unnamed large southwest city uh, you are a workplace rep who is active and engaged um, in your workplace um, with a no more scientific method than I spoke to you in the last few months, your name is up on a wall with a nice blue dot next to your name for being an active and engaged workplace representative. Equally, if you're listening to this and you are in a workplace in a large unnamed southwest uh, English <laughs> city and you have around 15 or more um, National Education Union members in your workplace but no workplace rep, you'll be pleased to know that you are in a workplace which is up on a board in an office in an unnamed southwest <laughs> city in England with a red dot next to your name and we will be coming to a workplace near you very, very soon. We have bugged your phone. <laughs> And you'll be getting a conversation using expressions like you and your colleagues working collectively together um, very, very soon, hopefully after half term. So looking forward to seeing you. Mine is, uh, I mean, I don't want to get started on our staff room because they've basically taken ours away and that is a battle we're going to have to have. No, the positives so, only. Yeah, so the positive thing is, that's a battle we're going to take on and win later on. But the, my thing is... Um, Last year, I mapped uh, the workplace and I drove myself completely insane and possibly have injured my eyesight by doing this, by trying to compile members by uh, by department, because you get, like, from the union, you get, like, a alphabetical list or whatever. So I put them in, in rows and I tried to find who is the person who is the most uniony in each of those groups, who is the person I can count on to go and talk to other people. I went through last year and I found these people were not getting any of the emails that were sending out. It was about five people, which doesn't sound like much, but that's 5% if you have 100 members. If you're trying to get super majorities, that's really important. Those people are getting the communications and also like a WhatsApp group. I did that last time and I kind of gained people by doing that and I need to do that again with the kind of general uh, churn, like people losing people, gaining people. And I've been kind of putting it off, but I think the way I do it is I need to get someone to sit with me and help me do it. I think that's why I... Not, not in a kind of like... 
uh, I'm too lazy to do this kind of thing, which is normally how I approach a lot of my teaching. I'll try and get someone else to do it. But the but it, as in as in like it should be a collective mm-hmm. process, and it's going to be better and quicker and more effective if I just yeah invite someone around to my house maybe and just sit there with a staff list and just go through and just get all the ducks in a row, get the ducks in a row, and then I can send eat some crisps, eat some crisps, and then I can send another letter that instead of having a little tiny homunculus in my brain. I will be the little homunculus in my CEO's brain and I will ruin his life and his career. <laughs> but it's not personal. I mean, what I mean is... It's, this is political. What I mean is I will ruin the entire cast of uh, stupid, unaccountable management mm-hmm. people because all of us are going to be in their little stupid, pointless brains, like, chipping away at it. And, um, eventually but Nick, give I have a good and... boss. My <laughs> <laughs> um, is all right. Oh, that, I mean, good. Yeah, that's great. Good for you, mate. Good for you. It won't last. They still hate you, <laughs> and you still hate them. That's the other thing. Like, people go, oh, I really like, oh, yeah, oh, my boss is all right. It's like, but you do actually hate them, though, don't you? I, mean, I definitely heard you say you hate them. Um, or, but my other thing with SLT is like, oh, we've got good SLT. It's like, all right, there's six of them. Two of them are completely incompetent, but we just can't get rid of them because they've just sort of failed upwards and now they're given dirty jobs that no one else wants to do. One of them can't talk to children in any way. Another one doesn't teach, and another one, they're quite efficient, but they're a complete robot. Like, what kind of a kind of six-a-side team would you say is a good team when, like, almost a quarter of them can't do anything, and then another quarter can't do half their job? Anyway, never mind. We do, we, we do what we can, we must be relentless, and our massive love will outweigh whatever spite... They can throw at us, and our massive spite will flood whatever <laughs> ho- hollow love yeah. they claim for their mm. pathetic existence. Spite, so, yeah. spite uh, plus love. Yeah, and spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot stress this enough. <laughs> <laughs> spite, love, and that's spreadsheets. As, that's that's another much, teacher. <laughs> that's as much positivity as you're getting out of me today. So, yeah. I thought I thought that was beautiful, and you should have more of a soapbox. So, um, um, on that beautiful note then you've been listening to requires improvement um please please listen to us on spotify itunes and soundcloud and follow us on twitter at at requires pod um and in in a dance or song as old as time all that all that remains for us to do is to say goodbye in turn so goodbye from me anu goodbye from me nick goodbye from me lauren goodbye from me lee goodbye from me tom And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time.